Father in heaven, just thank you for all the things you do for us. And Lord, today we want to be taught. We need to be taught. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to show you a few quick pictures here. Um, I've been to Brazil several times and a little mission school down there. Thank you. And a little mission school down there called the School of the Prophets. Um, we planted trees. You can see in the background there that that's a pretty steep hillside. You can see that's a pretty a steep hillside. We got a backhoe on there and it was too steep. And so the director of the mission there hired about 30 of the local guys there and they would come out and dig with their um, kadalis, I guess we call them. It's a big hole like this and you swing it that way. They could dig a, a, a large planting hole for the Ellen White planting method almost as quick as we could do with the, with the backhoe there. Interesting thing is that they would come out and the first half hour of the day, they weren't swinging those holes at all. They were sharpening their tools. Um, and then when they'd break for lunch, after lunch, the first 20 minutes, again, they were sharpening their tools and they could get a whole lot more done that way. All right, this was a little tiny stick. I don't even know the name of this tree, but it's some type of a fruit tree. And it was a little stick like this when we put it in the ground. Now, a year and a half later, look at the tremendous growth there. All right, that one is a um, cashew tree there. Uh, again, from a little twig to a year and a half later, tremendous growth. This is all the Ellen White planting method. Uh, okay, the oranges weren't that big. They were about this tall and that wide and uh, uh, covered with little blossoms and tiny green oranges and big oranges. They hadn't quite ripened yet on there. Okay, there's a cashew tree again. And uh, in a year and a half, the uh, cashews were ripening already there. And people from the tropics seem to love cashew. See, cashew has a fruit. It has a fruit um, and a nut. This is the nut and this is the fruit here. And they're both edible. Um, so people in the tropics seem to love the fruit and so some of that fruit was ripe already. And my buddy and I, we picked some of that, took it and, and tried to eat it. Whoa, is it nasty. <laughs> <laughs> we took it up to the kitchen. You put enough sugar with it. You can make anything taste good. <laughs> okay. Uh, guava trees, again, about this high and wide and covered with little green guavas, big green guavas, and ripe guavas all in a year and a half. These things were no bigger than pencil sticks when we put them in the ground. Now, they do have a 12-month growing season, where here we might have uh, eight or nine months, so they have that advantage uh, there. There's the avocado tree. Avo avocado had not produced fruit yet there. Okay, so if we have healthy soil, we end up with healthy plants and healthy people. If we have sick soil, we're going to end up with sick food and sick people. Now, our food is corrupted. Um, used to be, 100 years ago or so, that uh, if we ate the um, Eden diet, you'd have a very good um, 
food source. Uh, but food is corrupted today, and uh, we need to change it. <clears throat> now we're gonna we're gonna look at some some of the problems, but we're gonna spend most of our time on the solutions because there are some simple solutions. When we get into soil science, it gets very complicated very quickly. And Ellen White was given this dream in the night session. Uh, the angel came to her and uh, explained the science of the soil and the different, what the different levels of the soil did. And then Ellen White, that gets very complicated there. But then Ellen White put it down in a form that is so simple that a child could understand it there. Uh, <clears throat> okay, now our stores are full of beautiful produce. So how come we're sick and dying? Everywhere. Even in the Adventist church we have a lot of sick people. And certainly out in the world we have a tremendous amount of disease there. We're going to look at some of those ideas there. If you go to, to your uh, handout, go to the color section. Okay, this is uh, Dr. Mercola's uh, chart. And you can see this is 100 years of agriculture in the United States. The United States Department of Agriculture does a good job of um, keeping track of the soils in different states and in the counties and even portions of the county there. So they've got all these records. Going back here to 1900, you can see that uh, these nutrients in the soil were starting with uh, phosphorus, selenium, copper, uh, magnesium, cobalt, and so forth here. <clears throat> they were all pretty constant. We get over here to about uh, right after the First World War and mechanized farming came in. And as mechanized farming came in, now, now a man could handle 100 acres instead of 10 acres. And you see that the nutrient levels start to go down. At the same time, the diseases start to rise here. But let's go over here to uh, after the Second World War. We had all of these explosives. <clears throat> um, and they, they um, found out that if we put the explosives onto the ground, that things grew better. Uh, the corn grew bigger, the wheat grew bigger, and so forth. And so we started to use chemicals there, ammonia nitrate. And, uh, uh, and then let's get over here to pesticide, herbicide, fungicide. And this is starting at about 1960 and on there. And the more poisons, the more chemicals we use, the more the disease goes up. But what I really want to take you to is to GMO, that's genetically modified. That means the genetically modified foods, genetically modified organisms there. And then glyphosate, which is Roundup, and its cousins. Roundup, um, uh, the um, patent is expired, and so there are a lot of copycats with, uh, <coughs> with the Roundup today. And and you see, as we use these, that the, the disease rate just skyrockets, just goes out of sight here. Back in 1950, my grandfather could eat one apple, get 4.3 milligrams of iron. 48 years later, he would have to eat 
we'd have to eat 26 apples to get the same 4.3 milligrams of iron. Well, that's an impossibility, isn't it? We can't eat that much. Uh, and this is just iron. There are a whole lot of other things in apples besides that are good. And uh, uh, this is one of my favorite texts. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great unsearchable things. Another translation says, things that you could not possibly know. And God, God has given us this uh, promise there. Okay, so what kind of solutions do we have? Um, these are different. <coughs> these are different gardening methods that we have. Uh, grow your own nutrition. We're going to go through that, and then a high bricks garden, garden in a box. Um, how many of you are familiar with Dr. Jacob Mitleider's work? Anybody? Oh yes, lots of people. Great. Dr. Jacob Mitleider has been gone for about 12 years or so, I think. Um, this is his work continued uh, years after he has, good, thank you, years after he's gone. Uh, I, I had the privilege of taking the very last class that Dr. Midlider ever gave in his life. Um, it was at Weimar, and uh, there was supposed to be a whole plane load of um, people coming from Korea to take that class. Um, I don't know what happened, but the people from Korea never came. And a buddy of mine had called me and said, hey, Dr. Midlider is over at Weimar. It's only about an hour drive from my house. And he's giving a, this series. And so the two of us went over there and took that class. It ended up there was only two of us in that class. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> it was supposed to be a two-week class. It was over when Weimar dis dismissed for Christmas vacation. Um, because there were just the two of us, we kept Dr. Mitleider there for another week, so we had three weeks <laughs> to him. And it was wonderful because I had his full attention um, and could ask him lots of questions. A great man with a lot of really good experience there. Uh, we were walking across the farm to together one morning, and. <clears throat> Uh, and I was quizzing Dr. Mitleider about this idea of chemical fertilizers as opposed to organic. And he said, Lynn, he said, if it were up to me today, I would be 100% organic today. Now you go back and read his early books and he's advocating poisons that are so strong that they're illegal today. Um, so he totally changed his mind on this and he wanted to be 100% organic, um, he said, except for the nitrogens. He couldn't figure out how to get the nitrogens. And then basically he said, keep going forward. See if you can't do this and make it organic there. So now, between Darren Greenfield uh, and myself, we actually put together what's called Garden in a Box, and that is Dr. Mintleiter's work organic continuing years after he is um, deceased <clears throat> there. Okay, we're gonna talk about uh, ocean water minerals and the, the um, closeness to ocean water minerals to human blood. You see, if we analyze the ocean water, <clears throat> uh, 
there are 92 different minerals in the ocean. Everything gets washed into the ocean, right? Um, those 92 minerals stay in a perfect balance, meaning that the percentage of one to the next to the next never varies. Now, the most abundant thing in there is just sodium chloride, just salt. Okay, next is magnesium, then it goes on down to the other minerals and to the trace minerals and to all the way down to the rare earth minerals. Now, some of those are in there in parts per million, very small amounts. Some of them are in there in parts per billion. It's very, very small amounts. So we analyze the ocean water and we analyze human blood and they match. They match almost perfectly, not quite. There are three differences. The first is that uh, almost all the iron in the ocean drops to the ocean floor. There's very little in the water itself. In our blood, we have lots of iron. So our blood is red and the ocean is clear or greenish there. The second is that phosphate does the same thing. It drops to the ocean floor. Now we need lots of phosphate for plants to grow, but phosphate does the same thing. It drops to the ocean floor, so there's, there's not enough of it in the ocean water to grow good plants. I've tried it, it doesn't work there. So tremendous amount of phosphate in the ocean, but it's in bones and it's in shells uh, and it's in little modules on the ocean floor. There are actually companies that make equipment to sweep the ocean floor and harvest phosphate there. <clears throat> So lots of phosphate there, but not, not in the water. Uh, the third difference is that all life on Earth is electrical. Uh, in the ocean, with all those mineral salts, there's no problem with electrical currents flowing in all directions there. On land, it takes nitrogen to get that electrical uh, charge into the plant, into the seed and into the plant. There. So always we have to pay attention to those three things. Um, the iron, sometimes there's enough iron in the soil already, we don't have to add it. We need to look at that. And then we want to look at um, the phosphate and, and the uh, nitrogen. Always we have to add nitrogen because nitrogen is a gas and it's constantly going back into the atmosphere. So we have this nitrogen cycle and we have to make sure that we have uh, that available there. Okay, so we need to replenish the earth so we have healthy soil. We're going to go through that. There are, um, over, over the years, I've been gardening for about 70 years, and over the years I have always looked for interesting ideas, and then I would test them. There's a lot of things that are written out there, but I want to know whether it works for me or not. If it doesn't work for me, I'll just, for whatever reason, I'll get rid of it there. So I will test them, I will tweak them, um, and, uh, and here are three gardening systems that I, uh, that I really like, that really work. Okay, um, this is Grow Your Own Nutrition. This is a new program from International Ag Labs. Uh, it is the most expensive of those three systems up there, and it's the easiest, it's the simplest. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's the most convenient, all right? 
for smaller gardens, maybe two to 15 uh, raised beds. It says no supplements here. You do require soil tests. Do not add your own material to this system. You will cause an imbalance and destroy the scientifically balanced soil. Do not try uh, to help this system along. Start with what you have. Soil test will tell us what to do and how to handle any excesses and so forth. So don't add anything to that. You will upset it. All right, then we have the high bricks garden. Uh, this is more reasonably priced, easy instructions for larger gardens, maybe 500 square feet. Um, it could be from a small garden, but about 500 square feet on up to several acres. Again, no supplements. Don't try to help that, okay? And a soil test is required. Over here is Garden in a Box. That is, that's Dr. Jacob Midlider's um, program continued there. That is organic. Um, everything in there uh, ca can be certified organic. It's the least expensive by far of those three systems. It's very easy to use for medium-sized gardens, maybe 200 to 2,000 square feet, works very well. Um, now we combine this with agricultural lime or gypsum, uh, borax, and Epsom salts as directed. These things you'll buy locally, all right? No point in shipping those across country. The shipping would cost more than the products there. These are all available easily there. You, do, you don't have to have a soil test here. The soil test is going to cost you about uh, $68.00. Uh, just to get the soil test and then we have to add the materials besides but if you have a soil test with this um, It's even it's even much better there <clears throat> And we'll know exactly what to put in there Okay, ocean water. We just were talking about ocean water and how it is so um, Close to human blood during the Second World War and uh, hospital ships out on the Pacific Ocean they would double filter ocean water and use it as a substitute for human life, for human blood. They saved lots of, of lives because of using ocean water. Um, another thing that I find with ocean water is that wherever we use it, um, it seems to be very healing. Uh, a friend of mine a few years back um, was working on a car and the gas tank exploded and he had third degree burns on his, particularly his uh, chest and arms there. Um, he knew about ocean water and he had some at home. He went home and put it in a bathtub and just soaked the best he could there. He didn't have any insurance, so he didn't go to the hospital or the doctor. Um, those th uh, third degree burns healed up uh, with almost no scarring. It was just tremendous. Um, I was um, driving from my home about 15 minutes into town, and uh, here's a 60, it was nighttime, it's winter, and here's a 60 year old woman out there hitchhiking. And I stopped and picked her up and said, Oh, I know the woman that lives in that house up there. She says, Oh, that's my mother. Said, oh, well, I go to church with her. And she said, well, I used to go to church there too. She said, but I got in with the wrong company and 
really messed up my life. And she said, now I'm really sick and having trouble. Um, and any part of her body that I could see, her face and her hands there, uh, had an angry um, red, how would I describe that? Angry red uh, flesh there. And it was oozing with a clear liquid off of it. This woman was in big trouble. She said, I've got to get up to the emergency room uh, to get a shot of something. She's I just, I'm in such tremendous pain there. So anyway, I took her up to the emergency room uh, and I, in the few minutes we had on the road there, I told her about ocean water. I said, I don't know whether to help or not, but I'll give you some. And I uh, said, it'll probably sting like crazy. She said, I don't care, I'll try anything. There, well, I gave her some of that ocean water the next day or so. She called me in just a few days and she had tremendous relief. Um, far better relief than she had from any medication, any shot she got in the, in the um, uh, hospital, the emergency room. I gave her water, I gave her, excuse me, not water, but the ocean salts. Uh, uh, simply ocean water dehydrated, nothing added, nothing taken out. Um, you can go to the grocery store and get pure sea salt. It's purified. It's pure white. It's pure poison. You don't want it. Uh, you want ocean water salt or, um, that has not been refined at all. Also, you want it from a clean part of the ocean. Um, uh, if you live close to the ocean and the, and, and the water is clean there, you can just use the ocean water. That would be good. Uh, there are areas where the ocean is quite polluted, um, where the uh, Mississippi dumps, dumps into uh, the Gulf of Mexico. There's an area there the size of New Jersey. It's a dead zone. Any fish that swim into that die. They don't swim out. Um, there are other parts of the ocean um, that are that just have rafts of trash, um, particularly plastics there. So anyway, we want a clean part of the ocean. This stuff that we have comes from Baja. Um, Baja is, um, you know, that long desert there with almost no fishing villages even there. About halfway down there's an estuary there that twice a year the tide is high enough and I think it has to, I think it comes up to 21 and a half feet has to go above that, so it goes to maybe 22, 22 and a half feet, and the water washes into this estuary. Uh, <clears throat> and then out there in the desert, it quickly evaporates, and what's left over they harvest, uh, and they don't process that at all other than to grind it up. That's what you want there. Now people say, well, what about Fukushima? Uh, when Fukushima blew its top, um, that radioactive uh, activity was all over the world in a matter of hours in the air. Uh, it has not reached the west coast in the water yet. Some people say, well, what about this uh, radiation up here around uh, uh, Tacoma, Washington? We've got a, a big army base there. Uh, that's something that the U.S. government did years ago, uh, and there's serious radiation, serious pollution there. 
but that's not from uh, Fukushima there. Okay, 92 minerals in ocean water, almost identical to human blood. We have to dilute that with fresh water to use, uh, and we use it as a nutrient drench or foliar feed with really interesting results. Uh, it builds plants immunity to resist bacteria, fungal, and viral diseases and pests. It intensifies flavor. Uh, and if you're using the fresh water, <coughs> no, uh, one ounce of the salt to two and a half gallons of fresh water, okay, you'll barely taste, you'll barely taste the salt in that. That's enough for your garden. Uh, use about once a month during the growing season, four to six times a year. Now, if you happen to be in the desert uh, where Tommy is, or if you're growing in a greenhouse, uh, you have to be very careful of this. If you get too much salt build up, uh, it, it'll damage it. We can't just pump water out of the ocean and, and irrigate things. We'd kill everything. The salt is too, too strong there. <clears throat> uh, the salt, the sodium chloride, and the uh, boron, those are the two things that will, will be toxic to your soil. Um, and, and they're the two things that wash out of the soil very easily. So if you have enough rain or enough irrigation, it's going to wash it out of the soil. And you can continue to use this. If you're in a greenhouse, obviously you don't, you don't have rain in there. And so it's not going to be washed out. Uh, we were at a convent. <coughs> this is almost a year ago now. Huh? Um, down in uh, central California, high in the mountains. And uh, so I had a number of soil tests uh, from their different gardens and one from the greenhouse. The greenhouse, the salt and the, the uh, boron was so high, it was toxic, it's wonder that, that anything was surviving in there. And, and you could see the stress on the plants there. So what we had, <coughs> had them do is to put buckets all around that uh, greenhouse and turn on the sprinklers <clears throat> and just let it run continually until they had at least 12 inches of water in each one of those buckets. Just let it run continually. Don't turn it on and off. You want to over soak that soil and wash that, so that salt out. And you can do that. Uh, it's easy enough to do. <clears throat> We're talking about uh, flavor here. When when you use the ocean water with all of these minerals <clears throat> um, on your garden and in your orchard, you will have incredibly good flavor. People rave about the, the, the uh, tomatoes, you know, that uh, they grow in the summertime or maybe that their grandfather grew or something. Listen, I promise you that when you use the ocean water in the right way, in the right proportions, that it will be better the flavor will be better than any tomatoes that you have ever eaten before. The same thing will happen to carrots, uh, <clears throat> to onions. Onions get so sweet you can almost eat them like apples. Um, oh, if you have any peaches <clears throat> or nectarines, cherries, uh, incredible good flavor, just incredibly good. Now, it's not just the flavor that we're getting. We want the flavor. Um, but the, the flavor is there because of all those nutrients there. Okay, it's very important to dilute this water, 10 parts of fresh water to one part of ocean water, if you're using the ocean itself there. 
don't drink the ocean water, okay? Let the plant take up the nutrients and then eat the plant. Now, why not to drink the ocean water? Um, the minerals that are in the ocean are in a crystalline chemical form. Now, no animal can use those directly, not even an insect. Only plants can take that up. So the plant takes it up through the roots, and in the leaf of the plant, which is the factory for that plant, it combines those uh, crystalline chemicals with <clears throat> carbon from carbon dioxide right out of the air. Now it's changed it into an organic food. Now you can eat all of those that, that you want and you would not overdose. You would not harm yourself. So you can eat all of that that you're comfortable eating and it is very healthy for you. What happens when we use uh, ocean water? Well, we get a long shelf life. Food grown this way does not seem to rot. It may dry out, but it does not seem to spoil. Uh, in uh, our little test garden that we had at the Placerville Church a number of years ago, my youngest daughter picked a lemon cucumber out of the ocean water row. We had six rows. Each row was a different way of growing, so we could compare there. Uh, so she picked this lemon cucumber. Now, you know from personal experience, you buy a cucumber and take it home, put it in the bottom of the refrigerator. It's the first thing to turn to mush, right? Okay. Well, I took that cucumber home. I didn't put it in the refrigerator. I left it in the garage there. A year later, my wife found that. And she said, what's this thing? I said, hey, wait a minute. That's my cucumber. Don't throw that away. <laughs> uh, now, it had not rotted. There was absolutely no rot on it. It had dehydrated. We didn't eat it for supper that night. Um, so you'll find that, that uh, food grown this way will dehydrate, but it will keep itself. One exception, if you cut the skin, that's a place for bacteria to get in, okay? So as long as it's whole, it's just fine. <clears throat> Dr. Kerry Reams um, taught agriculture at the University of um, uh, Florida in Orlando and um, so he was experimenting with some of these things and he grew watermelons one year entered three of them in the state fair and won first prize for his watermelons uh, when, the, when the fair was over he took those watermelons put them on his desk where he taught and a year later he entered the same three watermelons <laughs> and a year after that he entered the same three watermelons again there it was to show that food grown this way uh, does not spoil, it might dehydrate, but it will not spoil there. Now, this is something I found interesting, that the BRICS reading was not necessarily higher. It was on a few things, but not necessarily higher, uh, but the taste was excellent. Um, carrot sweetened, crisp tomatoes, exceptionally good. Healing properties, curative effects there. Take a look at these fish. Trout in, um, in fresh water, even up here in the Cascades and the most beautiful, clear rivers in the mountains, uh, if it's five years old or older, it will have cancer. It'll have liver cancer by the time it's five years old. There's no exceptions there. In the ocean, it's gonna, that fish is going to grow two and a half times larger, and there's never any cancer in it. The only place we find disease in animals in the ocean, the only place we find disease is where we have polluted the, 
the, the ocean. If it's in a clean part of the ocean, those uh, those fish and those animals that live there will not uh, be sick. They will not have cancer. In the last 70 years, I've experimented with different systems. Let's go and see what we can find here. Okay, I talked about that all right. Ready? Okay, what is BRICS? Uh, BRICS is something that was invented or uh, by Dr. Kerry Reams <clears throat> to describe the measure, the density of dissolved minerals in plant juices. And we use a refractometer, this little instrument here. Um, we put a little bit of juice of the, of the um, vegetable or plant here, and then we look at a light source, and, <clears throat> and we can determine what the BRICS reading is there. Um, the higher the bricks, the higher the um, density, the mineral density uh, of, the, of the plant there. Um, I, I found that uh, sometimes the bricks reading would be no higher in the ocean water row than it was in one of the other rows there. But I found that the flavor was incredibly good. Uh, I talked to you about these six rows that we planted. and. Uh, if I planted, uh, let's say, early girl tomato plant in one row, I'd get a six-pack, so we'd have one plant in each one. Did the same thing with carrots and with whatever we planted. We same day, same uh, plant, same seed there, so that we would have a good comparison and know what the difference was. And uh, and I found that in some cases that <clears throat> the bricks reading was just as high on a chemical row, for instance, that we were growing next to this, uh, as it was on the ocean water. But when I tasted the fruit, there was a huge difference. Uh, I made a mistake. <clears throat> this garden is about 35 minutes one way from my house. And uh, so I made a mistake and I got too much uh, of the ocean water minerals on this ocean water row one year in the garden. And I killed um, early girl tomato plant with that. Um, so it was several weeks before I was back there uh, in time to rip out that tomato plant. By that time, it was brittle. <clears throat> but you know how tomatoes put out a hand of, of uh, tomatoes and ripens from the biggest to the next and so forth? There, well, there are a bunch of these hands of tomatoes on this plant. Uh, so I thought, well, this is probably going to taste like winter tomatoes, you know, where they pick them green and then they ripen over a period of time. So I picked one and I tasted it. It was incredibly good. I thought, wow. So I picked um, more off of that plant and then I went to the rows on either side of it and I picked um, early girl tomatoes again and I just numbered them A, B, C or something and the two guys were working late in the garden um, that evening and I told them to come over and I said just tell me which one of these you like best you know and they came and and tasted tasted them they said wow nothing wrong with that one that one this is incredibly good what, what's this one that was the ocean water row even though the bricks reading wasn't any higher uh, the flavor was incredibly incredibly good there Okay, so how do we uh, achieve high bricks? Um, Dr. Kerry Reams actually started International Ag Labs uh, to 
to test soils and to um, balance the soil. And uh, <coughs> uh, phosphate from, from soft rock phosphate. Now that's a whole lot different than most of the phosphate you're going to find in the uh, garden store or uh, at the farm supply. But you want soft rock phosphate and that needs to be the carrier for all of the other nutrients into the plant um, except for the nitrogen. Now how most crops are grown today is that nitrogen is the carrier for all of these things and so we get big produce, big growth and we get poor uh, nutrition. But we want to we want to use the soft rock phosphate here. Okay, question is where do we get soft rock phosphate? Um, often it's difficult. Um, uh, the soft rock phosphate I like comes from uh, Lake Okeechobee area of Florida, and if you drive around that lake, they've got dikes all around it to keep the water in when they have big hurricanes and whatever there. And as you drive around it. Uh, we ha uh, you'll see that there are bones and shells. It's white there. Well, they mine that. This is, these are bones and shells that were buried during Noah's flood. <coughs> and, uh, and they grind that up and then uh, into rather small sand. And then they wash that to wash the, the dust off. The dust goes out into a big settling pond and when that dries, it's that dust that is the soft rock phosphate. Uh, <clears throat> the other phosphate is shipped off to a phosphate factory, a chemical uh, fertilizer factory, and there it is treated with high, uh, with strong acids, uh, and we make superphosphate, double superphosphate, or maybe triple superphosphate out of it. it comes from the same thing. However, uh, the soft rock phosphate is going to do a whole lot more for you. Um, uh, than, than just give you phosphate. It's going to give you phosphate. But remember, this, these are bones and shells, so there's a whole lot of minerals in there besides. Now, if you were to look at the uh, fertilizer bag for soft rock phosphate, it says 030. Okay? Uh, the first number is always nitrogen, the second is always phosphate, the third is always uh, potassium uh, worldwide. So, uh, look at those numbers. If it says zero, three, zero, that's soft rock phosphate, okay? All of the others are going to start at about zero, twenty-two, zero, and on up to zero, fifty-two, zero. All right, why would we, why would we use something with a low level instead of a high level uh, of phosphate? It's much less expensive to, to ship, you know, the more concentrated product there. Here's the reason. <clears throat> um, the superphosphates, doesn't matter which one you get, but the superphosphates are going to tie up with calciums in the soil. And in about 30 days time after you put it there, it's tied up so tightly with calcium that that phosphate is not going to be available to your plants for many, many years. Okay? The soft rock phosphate, 030, will have 3% available to your plants this year, 2 to 3% next year, and the year after, and the year after for a whole lot of years there. Uh, so it doesn't tie up 
uh, and, it, and it does a, a lot of other good things in soil too. So use the soft rock phosphate uh, whenever you can there. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.